Together with our differences Together we are bolder, braver, stronger
Well, good morning, church. Good to see everybody. Welcome, welcome. Uh, if you can hear my voice and you're out in the lobby, come on in, grab that last cup of coffee and come and join us. Uh, we're about to get started. Uh, this is Trinity Bible Church, and this is a place where you can feel comfortable to be yourself before God and before others. And, you know, we gather here on the first day of the week to worship. And so all that we say and do this morning will be about worshiping the Lord, and we get to do it together. And that's what's really special about this, that we get to be the body of Christ, the family of God, and no matter where you are on your faith path and your journey with Jesus, this is a place to be because we're going to open God's word together and see what he has to say for us this morning. Uh, and we're going to worship God through song in just a moment. And we're going to be able to pray together and have fellowship together, which many of you enjoyed a lot of already. Please remember every Sunday at 945, we have the opportunity to have some breakfast and coffee fellowship. So I really encourage you to take advantage of that. Come on out and get an earlier start to the day and to see some people you haven't seen in a while and catch up and and uh, get some coffee and breakfast, and then and get started in your day. And so, again, thank you. And what I want to do now is uh, just give us a moment to kind of, we just kind of breathe. Here we are, and uh, no matter what kind of week or morning you had, we are now here together. We praise God for that. It's a new day of life and a day that we have committed to be together here before our loving and gracious God. And so, like what I, what I usually like to do, I want to open with a word uh, from God's Word as our call to worship, as a way to kind of uh, recalibrate and refocus our minds and set our hearts right so that we can then enter into a time of worship through song and then His Word, uh, giving our focus and attention to Him to where it should be. Because ultimately, we want God to be glorified and the name of Jesus to be lifted high. Amen? Amen. So today is a special day because uh, we are here together and because we have an awesome and amazing God who will do awesome and amazing things in and through us today. So here's what it says, and this is uh, from the beginning of Psalm 139. It's a familiar psalm to many of you that, that teaches us some very profound truths about who we are to God and uh, uh, being part of his creation. So in the beginning of Psalm 139, it says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. 
So where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And then listen to these final words I'll read. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, for my soul knows it very well. Does your soul know that to be true this morning, that he has created you and that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by the God of the universe? Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll stand and worship God through song. Father, how wonderful are your works. How wonderful are your creations. And Lord, how wonderful it is to know your very word teaches us that we are your creation, that you have known us from before the foundations of the world, that you have knitted us together. You are an intimate, loving God who knows us better than we know ourselves. Father, may we rest and rejoice in that awesome truth this morning. As we stand and join our voices together and, and as we hear your word, Lord, may we know full well that we are yours and that you love your creation. God, may we embrace that truth, whether we feel it or not, that we are your masterpiece, fearfully and wonderfully made. God, we want to rejoice in that wonderful truth this morning. So Father God, our time of worship now belongs to you. It is for you because ultimately you deserve it all. And so we say thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, let's stand together and join our voices and worship him in song. Worthy of all the praise 
All right, if you can make your way back to your seat. The children have uh, made their way down the hall, and so we're uh, grateful for that wonderful ministry. Our Trinity kids, we're grateful for all of our children and, uh, and for the teachers that uh, commit their time to work with them, and so we're thankful. Uh, before we dive into word, uh, God's Word together, which is uh, something, of course, we love to do here at Trinity, just a, a few words of church life to get caught up on where we are and some things that are going on. <coughs> Excuse me, I wasn't there, but uh, yesterday uh, there was the women's uh, bike ride and walk and breakfast, and I heard it was a great success, and there were 17 ladies that were there, and uh, praise the Lord for that, and yep. <coughs> and uh, just enjoyed a, a wonderful time of, of biking there in, in Spring Lake, and a beautiful boardwalk, and biking and riding and fellowship, and then ended with a, a breakfast and a devotional. And so uh, thank you to the ladies that put that together, and uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to continue to, uh, to grow, to get to know each other, and, and uh, just be encouraged in the Lord. And so um, yeah, grateful that I just wanted to give you that update and make sure you know that uh, that happened and went off with great success. So wonderful. Thankful for that. Um, next Sunday is uh, the first Sunday of uh, August. Some of you might have thought it was today. We have 31 days in July, right? So it is uh, next Sunday. So it's our fellowship lunch barbecue. Uh, and so please uh, make sure that you, you bring a side dish to share. We always provide the hot dogs and hamburgers and the dessert and drinks, but uh, bring something, a side dish to share. But even if you can't, everybody is always welcome. It's a wonderful time. Uh, and uh, so that is next Sunday. Make sure you put that on your calendar. But of course, because it's also the first Sunday in conjunction with that, we have our communion service. And uh, if you're new to Trinity or haven't been here a while, what we love to do is on that first Sunday of the month, we end our worship service around the Lord's table and we take the elements together, taking time to reflect on what it means that Christ died for us and the meaning of that sacrifice. And it's one of the two commands that Jesus gave the church to baptize and, uh, of course, also to whenever we gather together as often, he said, as we do, to do that in remembrance of him. And so we end our service with communion and then we go right into our time of our agape feast, our fellowship lunch, which is uh, what the church has been doing for uh, 2,000 years or more, you know, and enjoying uh, that the food isn't 2,000 years old. It will be fresh, I guarantee you. Um, but, uh, but in that ancient tradition of the church, we gather to fellowship, we gather around food, but of course we take that important time to reflect and remember the Lord's sacrifice. So that is all happening next Sunday, so make sure that you are here for that. And uh, we are continuing in our journey through the books of First and Second Peter. We are still in First Peter in chapter 4, uh, but we're almost done with the book, and then we'll go into Second Peter. And our series is titled Following Jesus in a Hostile World. And uh, of course, as I said before, the Holy Scriptures are always relevant, and part of my responsibility as uh, the lead teacher and pastor here is to show you how they are relevant, not to make them relevant, but to show you how they are. And, and so First and Second Peter have been relevant as important books of the Bible, 
for believers throughout all the centuries, specifically because Peter, as one of the apostles, the, the original apostles, that he explains to these believers in exile that, yes, they will suffer persecution because of their faith, but that it is to be expected. Now, that's kind of a hard teaching for us to hear, especially. We don't normally, on a regular basis, not most of us at least, endure persecution or suffering for our faith, for being Christians, but there has been persecution of the church of Jesus Christ since its inception, because did not Jesus say, right, that because the world hated him, they would hate us. And so um, this is what Peter is talking about. And so this is important for all of us uh, because of the world in which we live, and we know that, um, that our faith uh, is not welcome. We might think that it is, but truly it is not welcome in this world because we have a spiritual enemy, and his name is Satan, and he is the one who is, um, has dominion over this world. God, of course, ultimate authority and sovereignty, but through that, um, God has allowed Satan since the Garden of Eden to be called, as Scripture says, um, the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air. And though these are biblical truths and realities that we need to be reminded of. And because of that, there is spiritual warfare. There is spiritual battle going on. And as we were just singing such an appropriate song for today, that even in the midst of those fiery trials that Peter will talk about in our passage today, that we always have another in the fire with us. Doesn't hearken back to that that famous story about Daniel and his friends, the teenagers really at the time, who, di who, who decided and committed not to bow down to a false god and were thrown into the fire. But now this is important, sort of our context for this, mor this morning. Remember in that story that God did not first save them and remove them from the fire but God showed up in the fire with them, kept them from perishing, right? And so that is what God does for us. There is another in the fire standing next to us, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so as we continue our study in 1 Peter, we are in chapter 4, and it's verses 12 through 19, and it'll be up on the screen in just a moment. But as we talk about persecution, let's take a moment to reflect on what Christian persecution looks like in our current day. And so um, we have these statistics through Open Doors USA. It's a website you can go to. I actually recommend you go there. And it's, um, they put together every year a World Watch report. And it talks about the... Um, the, the current status of persecution of Christians around the world. And it lists the top 50 nations around the world where Christi Christians are persecuted and um, for all different reasons and levels, and it lists them. Uh, and it gives a description of all of them, and it gives some amazing statistics. But it's a good website to check out, Open Doors USA. I think it's .org, but Google it and you'll find it and it's their world watch list. And so 
for this year alone, these are the statistics that we have. Some of the statistics we have already. 360 million Christians around the world experience on a regular basis high levels of persecution. That's not just being made fun of or mocked, which is kind of our more of our context and what Peter is, is writing about, but high levels of severe persecution, 360 million Christians. We don't often think about that, do we? 5,898 Christians killed for their faith. Now look at this. That is up almost 25% from the year 2021. In one year, raised almost 25% the amount of Christians killed for their faith. And on the website, they make a point to say that most likely these statistics are much higher than even what they have. Over 5,000 churches and other Christian buildings attacked, burned, desecrated, 4,765 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Almost 4,000 Christians abducted for faith-related reasons. Now look at this. There's one statistic here I had no idea. Nigeria tops the list for the amount of Christians killed for their faith. Nigeria alone as a nation accounts for nearly 80% of Christian deaths worldwide. Now, why do I share these? As a context for what we're about to talk about, what Peter is going to, to, to write for us this morning in this passage in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19. This is a stark reality, right? This isn't a fun intro to a sermon. This isn't a lighthearted a joke or anecdote, but this is reality that we need to be faced with so that we're not um, obscuring the facts and so also that we are not um, diminishing what's going on because we're just basing it on our own context. But see, this type of thing has been going on for 2,000 years around the world. So it helps us, if nothing else, to get out of our own context and perspective. Remember, God is not just the God of our part of the world or our country. This is his world, is it not? And he has brothers and sisters of ours, believers around the world at all times, many of whom are suffering greatly at the hands of others because of many reasons, because of their government, because of dictators, because it gets in the way of a, a bigger agenda, because of fear, because it's unknown, and because it doesn't go with the flow of the rest of a program of society. But you can just take in those statistics for a moment and recognize that, yes, we are a part of that. We might not personally be one of those statistics, but should we not, if nothing else, look at these numbers as more than numbers, as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus around the world? And this is for me, I preach this for me, but as I go through this and as I'm even preparing these messages in First Peter and thinking, what am I doing? What's my connection to people that are suffering? What can I do and what should I do? How would I react to being persecuted 
should that day come? What does that look like? Well, in our passage today, Peter says, of all things, that we are to rejoice in our suffering. (laughs) Are you ready to hear about that? To rejoice in our suffering? This is the word of God, which is relevant and true no matter where you are. It might be a little easier to preach this message about rejoicing and suffering to us here, but what if I were to take this message to Nigeria and say, yes, but let's rejoice in suffering. Let's keep it in our context. Here is our passage for this morning. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19, I'll read it, and then we're just going to unpack three things that I think are important uh, for us to make sure we don't miss and to highlight from this passage. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but... Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. He tells us, I think, three things, three overall things we need to look at. We are to expect suffering as Christians. We are to rejoice in suffering as Christians and we are to trust God in our suffering. Let's unpack that. A few things about suffering before we do. Matthew 5.10, I'm going to give a lot of scripture this morning. Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 1 Timothy 3.12, I think, says it so succinctly. Indeed, Paul says to Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Paul's telling Timothy, the young pastor of a young church, he's saying, look, this is the reality, Timothy. And Paul is saying it because he's lived it and he knows it. He was a persecutor of Christians, was he not? As Saul before God got a hold of him. And Paul is saying to young Timothy, look, it's the reality of life. If you are following Christ and living for him a godly life, you will be persecuted. Be sharing many other scriptures this morning that remind us of this. 
but you know a little bit about sufferings. The truth is that we can suffer and God is still good. We might not feel it, but even in the midst of suffering, like we sang earlier, there is another in the fire. Because we suffer, especially because of our faith, it does not mean that God is not good. God is still good and always good, even in the midst of suffering. Perhaps it's in the midst of suffering that we accept that truth all the more. We might have wrong expectations that our life should be and will be void of suffering once we believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation. Jesus says it would be just the opposite. Because if there's suffering, often our assumption is that God is not present. In our suffering, that's when God is often intimately present. Psalm 34 says these beautiful words, God is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. When you are suffering, especially for your faith, God draws near to you. He is close to the brokenhearted. We remember that story I mentioned earlier, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three, uh, Daniel's three friends. In the midst of the fire, Jesus shows up. Boy, it reminds us, this idea of suffering, doesn't it? Like nothing else, that our joy, true joy in Christ, is not circumstantial. Happiness might be circumstantial, but true joy in the Lord is not based on how much money we have in the bank or how healthy we are, or if our kids are walking with the Lord or not. Our joy is in Christ. We have a God who is immutable, which means he does not change. He is that foundation we also sang of earlier. Suffering for Christ, Peter says, is an honorable thing because he is worth it. And suffering brings us closer to Jesus. So the question for this morning that's on the table that Peter addresses is, how do we respond to persecution? See, all along, Peter has been, in this book, he's been kind of preparing Christians for suffering, telling these exiled believers in 1 Peter chapter 1, he calls them the exiled ones, the scattered ones, as pilgrims and sojourners. He says, you will have suffering. But now Peter's getting into the meat of it, and he says, how are we to respond to persecution? Three things. Expect it. And that should change our perspective. Rejoice in it. And trust God in the midst of it. So, first, expect it. In verse 12, he says, Beloved, let's park there for a second. Peter is so good at reminding us who we are. We are beloved. You know that? You are beloved. It means you are divinely cherished by God. You are divinely cherished. You are loved by the God of the universe. Do you know that? Let that sink in. You might say, Pastor Keith, I don't feel like that. I look in the mirror. I don't think I deserve that. Well, of course, we do not. But that's the beautiful truth, isn't it? We don't deserve it. We can't earn that love. It is a gift from God through Jesus Christ, his son. We are beloved. So Peter says that right off to remind us, to set the stage, to give us the perspective. We are so loved 
by our divine and heavenly Father. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So we are to expect it. He says, don't be surprised. Don't be like, oh my gosh, I'm suffering. He says the opposite. You should expect it because it will come and it's coming to test you. And don't be surprised as if this is something strange and out of the ordinary. And look, here's a truth. Again, it's hard for us to grasp often, but what Peter is saying, and he knows it from experience and from Jesus himself teaching it, it is a part of the normal Christian life. It's part of the pathway of being a disciple is that we will be persecuted for our faith. It's part of the normal Christian life. So he says, beloved, you're loved. Remember, don't be surprised by it. Expect it. Expect it. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I don't like so much surprises. I don't like being scared. You know, it's one of the things our kids always love to do. They come around the corner, right? They love to set you up and scare you and see your reaction. Then they laugh, right? And they love it. Or even be surprised. How many of you like a surprise party? You like a surprise party? You do. Some of you do. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of it. Some of us like that. Peter's saying, look, be ready. Be prepared. <laughs> Don't be surprised. Know it's going to happen. And it's normal. It's normal. He says, no, it's going to happen. Don't be surprised. See, he, God wants our joy to be completely in him and not in the temporary things of this world. We are his beloved. Why would God allow suffering? One reason is that he wants us to love him and not the world. He's a jealous God, the scriptures say. He allows suffering, and we are to expect it. Why? Because God wants our joy to be completely in him and not of the fleeting, temporary things of this world. If we live a life that's easy and, and pain-free, our faith is never challenged. A faith that is refined and tested is of greater value. If we didn't suffer, think about this. If we didn't suffer, especially for our faith, there would be like a whole part of Jesus that we wouldn't intimately understand because did not our Christ suffer? Next week when we take communion together, we specifically remember in the taking of the bread and the cup, representing his body and his blood, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, and that he did that for us. It's a part of Jesus that we will then be able to connect with and know more intimately when we ourselves suffer. Because God wants us to look beyond our current circumstances to him and to the future glory in him. We are beloved, divinely loved ones. Peter says, change your mind about this. Don't be surprised. Be ready and understand this reality. Romans 8.18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is the Apostle Paul writing in Romans 8.18, the one who had been beaten time again, 
who had been dragged out of a city, left for dead. He probably thought he was dead. And he is saying, I consider these sufferings for my faith, these can't even compare to the future glory that it will be revealed to us. What a heavenly perspective. Amen? Peter says it's not out of the ordinary for us to suffer persecution. It's normal. Why? Because earlier in the book, he says, I'm writing this to the scattered one. See, church, this is so important for us to remember, again, getting perspective to take this truth in, that this is not our home. We are citizens, first and foremost, of heaven, not this world. We should not want to dig our, uh, our roots, plant our roots deep into this world. Because God has so much more for us. And we are following Jesus in a hostile world, hostile to our faith. Why would we want to have the world and its systems love us? Why would we want to sink our roots deep into this world when we're not truly even citizens first here? It's that perspective. Peter is writing to pilgrims, to exiles, to strangers in a strange land, we can be called. We are called in 1 Peter 2, sojourners. I love that word. We don't use it a lot, sojourners. It simply means we are on a journey and we are simply passing through. But we forget our heavenly mindset that Peter's reminding us of, that this is not all there is, and we praise God for that. We look around at the suffering and the hurt, and we look around at the injustices of this world. So much we have to put away the news for a while, and we have to remember this was not God's plan, this suffering, this degradation of his creation. The Garden of Eden, that was his plan. The dominion over the beautiful creation by Adam and Eve to be his representatives on this earth. That was his plan. But Satan usurped that, and Adam and Eve abdicated that responsibility. But God said, one day I will have a king over my kingdom on this earth. That kingdom is coming because we have a king who is coming back. Amen? Amen to establish his kingdom. This is not his kingdom. You read in Revelation about the, the beautiful millennial kingdom, and what does it describe? It doesn't describe what we have here. <laughs> we know all that it's going to look like? No. We can only dream and imagine. But it tells us enough to know there'll be perfect justice and perfect peace and glorifying Jesus Christ. We long for that because we don't see that around us right now. A few other scriptures, and we'll move on to number two. Galatians 6, 14, Paul says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, Paul is saying, I've been crucified with Christ. Elsewhere he says, it's no longer, I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, see? The only thing that Paul says he's going to boast in is in the cross of Christ. Because he says, I've been crucified to this world. I am dead to this world and its systems, and it no longer has rule and reign over me. 
Philippians 3.20, again, the Apostle Paul, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life, those are not from the Father, but from the world. And then he says, the world, listen, is passing away along with all those desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. The Christian life is based on promises that God makes to us, not promises that we make to God. John 15, Jesus says, Remember the word I said to you? The servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Again, this is Jesus. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Hmm. And Philippians 1, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that, listen, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. We're to expect suffering. But then Peter goes on to say, we are to rejoice in suffering. And we say, what's that, Peter? <laughs> I won't read the whole thing, but look, rejoice insofar as you were Christ's sufferings. You share in them. That you also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He talks about glorying in that name. We are blessed privileged and honored. You know, in the Beatitudes, when Jesus lists those many blessings of being in him, we read it earlier, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what that word blessed means? Blessed be. It doesn't just mean happy. It really means privilege. Did you know that? When it said you are blessed, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word blessed really means privileged. Peter is saying, you know what? It's a privilege to suffer for Christ. Do we think that way? It is a privilege to suffer for him. When we take on the name of Christian, we tell others, we believe in the Lord Jesus, it's our new identity. How do we wear that label? Are we proud of it? We should be. We should wear it boldly and with a godly pride because it's a privilege to be identified with Christ. Or do we find other ways to try to get around using that name? Our love for Christ is to be so great and so deep that we rejoice at being considered worthy to suffer for him. But Peter also says we should rejoice in it because the Spirit rests on you. How about that? 
in verse 14, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Don't we want that in our suffering? But let's pause here for a second before we, we move on to the third and final one. As we rejoice in our suffering, let us, let us check our hearts first and think about why is it that we're suffering. See, the Bible talks about different kinds of suffering and different reasons that we suffer. First, we might suffer because of our own disobedience, all right? We can suffer because of our own stupidity. Have you ever learned that? I could ask for a show of hands, but I know everybody's going to raise their hand, wouldn't they? (laughs) We suffer because of our own stupidity, our own disobedience. And so check that first. Why am I suffering right now? Why am I going through these trials? Maybe it's because of a poor choice you made. Because God was leading in one direction. You read the word of God. You decided to do the opposite. That's that's a reality. (laughs) We could suffer because of that. Part of it is original sin. As we are born separated from God because of sin, because of that sin of Adam. Very simply, we could be suffering because there is sin in this world. And it is a broken world or also because of our poor choices. But then Peter says we could be suffering because of our identification with Jesus. He says it there in verse 16. What do we do with that name? We are to wear that name with honor. He says in verse 16, yet if anyone suffers, look, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Glorify God because you are self-identifying with Christ. Did you know the name Christian was first used in a derogatory way? We see it show up in Acts. It's only used a few times in Scripture, but it was used in a derogatory way. As far as we know, really, before the name Christian came about, that this group, right, these believers in Jesus were just called the way because they were following the way of Jesus which is still what we want to do today. But it was kind of used in a derogatory way. Look at these Christians, these little Christs, these Christ followers. But how do we wear that label today? Right? There will be public shame when we identify as Christians. Peter says it's coming, it will happen. But Peter says to embrace it, to glorify God in that name, to rejoice in our suffering and persecution. See, our identity in Christ explains and glorifies God in our suffering. (laughs) Remember, we are his beloved, eternally connected with him. And John 9 says it this way, as he passed, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or was his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or that his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow, what a teaching of Jesus. Maybe we are suffering for Christ because God wants to glorify himself. That should always be a good reason. Jesus said it right there. It wasn't the guy's fault. It wasn't his parents' fault. Jesus said very simply that the works of God might be displayed in him. Oftentimes we can be suffering for Christ so God can use us as a witness to others of his great glory. 
whether he relieves us and rescues us from our suffering or not, we are to be a witness for him. One more thing. We could be suffering because of God's discipline, not only for him to bring himself glory or identify our identity in Christ, but perhaps for God's discipline. Look at what it says, verses 17 and 18. For it is time, Peter says, for judgment to begin at the household of God. No, wait a second, Peter. I thought we're not built for wrath. I thought as the church we're saved and, and we're not destined for God's wrath. But yet Peter says, judgment is going to begin, and it starts with the church. Why would that be? Does not God, our Heavenly Father, discipline those whom he loves? Because he wants to refine us. He knows that we are the bride of Jesus Christ as the church here on earth. And he wants a pure and beautiful bride who is purified of all sin and malice and gossip and backstabbing and envy and pride and all those things that taint us and mar us in the eyes of a holy and righteous God. And so Peter says it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Hmm. John 15, 2. Every branch in me, Jesus says, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But look what Jesus also said. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it bear more fruit. We all know that as a great example from gardening. That with many plants, in order for it to bloom again or to grow more beautiful and healthier, you have to cut some dead wood. You have to cut some branches. You have to prune it. So Jesus is saying, if it doesn't bear any fruit, then God will cut it out. But he says, every branch that does bear fruit, that's healthy, a growing healthy Christian, he says, God will still prune him or her. How does that feel? God will chisel away at us. God will do some pruning. Maybe this morning you're sitting here, yay, I'm feeling it. God is pruning in my life. Or perhaps you're thinking of people in your life and saying, God, please, would you do some pruning in their life? Because they are a thorn in my side. God disciplines those whom he loves. So Peter says it so boldly. You know what? Judgment's going to start with the church. And then he says, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? See, suffering is a part of the Christian life. We should expect it. Maybe it's of our own doing because of our own, our own poor choices. Maybe it's because we identify with Christ. Maybe God is simply wanting to glorify himself, or maybe God is simply pruning away some dead and unfruitful parts of an otherwise fruitful branch. You know, church history shows us that 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred. Do you know that? 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred. Under Nero, he commanded right, that Christians be killed, that they renounce Christ or lose their lives. That even continued <clears throat> through the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages. 
<clears throat> for thousands of years, Christians have been persecuted. So we are not to think that we are immune to persecution. In fact, just the opposite, we should expect it. Hmm. Do we want it? No. Do we go seeking it? No. Should we expect it? Yes. Especially as we live for him. Again, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter says, guess what? That's a privilege that we should embrace. You know, I mentioned before Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That blessed means privileged. But listen to the next two verses. Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12. Right after that, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You want to see what persecution looks like? Turn to the pages of the Old Testament. Read about the prophets and how they were treated by the people of their day. We are like, in that sense, modern-day prophets. We are representing God through Jesus Christ, proclaiming his word, sharing the gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ Jesus, and in him alone, what a message we have from God, proclaiming that good news. How will we be treated for that? Let's look to the prophets. And finally, not only are we to expect it, but to rejoice in the suffering, but we are to trust God in that suffering. Verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will, how about that? It could be in God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good? Are we entrusting our very lives to this very God? He's saying, give yourself to God. Surrender. Church, you know that word surrender? What an amazing word. It is a key word in the Christian life. You know, here at Trinity, we often talk about our core values, learning and growing and serving, that we learn the truth, we grow in faith, and we serve one another. It's part of our, our culture, our DNA here at Trinity, because that's how we pursue discipleship, being followers of Jesus. We believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation, and then do we make that choice to be a disciple, to commit to follow him, and all that that means, right? But we learn and we grow and we serve. In the midst of that, we are to surrender. It's about surrendering your own will, your own desires, your own pride, setting it aside and saying, God, it's all for you. I surrender it all. I surrender all. That is a key part of the Christian walk, is it not? And it's something we do on a daily basis, not just once. God, I surrender to you. I'm going to be your disciple. Now let's go. I mean, it's got to be over and over because there's days that we trip. As we walk and follow Jesus, we certainly will trip sometimes, won't we? Or sometimes we'll get off the beaten path because instead of walking and following Jesus, we'll start to say, hey, look over there. That looks good. And we start going this way. Well, this looks good too. Let's go that way. What about Jesus? Yeah, I'll catch up to him in a minute. Let's go this way. You see, you take our eyes off of Jesus. 
So we are to surrender all that we are to him. That's the call of a disciple. Remember, as I say often, the gift of salvation is free. Believing is easy in that sense because it's laid out for us. Jesus did it all for us. We believe in the Lord Jesus and we are saved. It says that over 150 times in the New Testament. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you are saved. But then Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? You want to follow me, actually, now that you believe in me? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's hard. Who wants to take up a cross? Where was Jesus going to the cross? To death. Discipleship is about death to self. It's about surrendering. And Peter says it this way, entrust your very soul. Give it all over to this God. It's like saying, here I am. Did not Jesus entrust himself to God the Father? I commit my spirit to you, he said, did he not? We are to do the same thing, following what Jesus did. One last thing about this before we close. You know, in this life, we're also conditioned to want rewards. It's part of our sinful nature. We want rewards, don't we? We want prizes and rewards for not only doing good things, but we just want things without doing any work. How many of you wanted to win that $1 billion lottery? How many of you right now have a losing ticket in your pocket? How many of you would be willing to raise your hand and say that you do? Whatever you think about it, you think, man, what would I do with that? We often want something for nothing, don't we? It's just part of our sinful nature. We want something for nothing. We want rewards. But you know, the Bible talks about rewards. Jesus taught about rewards. Paul taught about it. There are rewards for believers. But you know what? Our true rewards are not in this life. Why? Because we're not really citizens of this world. This is not our true home. Why would we want rewards that this world can offer when one day this world will pass away? Why would we want rewards that we can't take with us? Why would we want rewards that are not eternal in nature? Don't we want our rewards to be heavenly in nature? To be everlasting, to be eternal rewards that only God can give? So again, as I started earlier to say, it is about our perspective, our heavenly perspective. We are to seek the things above where Christ is, not the things of this world, because this world is passing away, and all of the rewards that it can offer, yes, even $1 billion. <laughs> where do you want your reward to be, here or in heaven? This world is temporary. Our lives are but a fleeting moment. But eternity with God is forever. That's where we are to cast our eyes and fix our gaze and store up our treasures. You know, in Matthew 6, I won't read it. When Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, remember that prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do you know what the context of that was? Why Jesus taught the disciples uh, like a pattern of prayer? It's because they were envying the Pharisees. 
and, and, and who they thought they were, that, that they were very important men in their society and in their faith, in their religion. Four times in that whole greater passage, Jesus says, you know what? They already have their rewards. They pray in front of, in front of other men, great, that's their reward. They do this, this thing for God, supposedly, so other people can see them. That's their reward. They got it. Their reward is here and now. Jesus is saying, is that where you want your reward to be? Don't pray like that. Don't be like that. He says, here's how you pray. In the midst of that, he teaches them, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See that? He's saying, when you pray, don't be like them. They already got their reward. <laughs> we don't want our reward to be here and now, only what this world can offer. He ends that whole scene with those disciples by saying this. Jesus says to them, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's do a serious heart check this morning. <laughs> you know, in um, his most well-known book, Tortured for Christ, Lutheran pastor Richard Wormbrand, some of you have heard of him, he was imprisoned and tortured during and after World War II. He says this about persecution in that book. Look at this. Listen to these words of this man who knows what it means to be tortured in the name of Christ. I tremble because of the sufferings of those persecuted in different lands. I tremble thinking about the eternal destiny of their torturers. I tremble for Western Christians who don't help their persecuted brethren. Ouch. In the depth of my heart, I would like to keep the beauty of my own vineyard and not be involved in such a huge fight. I would like so much to be somewhere in quietness and rest, but it is not possible. The quietness and rest for which I long would be an escape from reality and dangerous for my soul. The West sleeps and must be awakened to see the plight of the captive nations. So writes a man who evidently was kept in solitary confinement for almost three years. No sunlight, no sound, the point where even his captors wore felt on the bottom of their shoes so they would make no sound to further torture him. And here's a man who says, the quietness and rest for which I long for, a.k.a. our, our comfort, our worldly pleasures, he says, that would be an escape from reality and dangerous to my soul. That's what Peter's trying to tell us. Would you stand with me? And I want to conclude our time by reading this. This is from 1 Peter, the book that we're in. 
So we went through this a number of weeks ago, but I wanted to bring this back to mind. This is 1 Peter. He said this in chapter 2. Look at what he says. For to this you have been called. This is for all of us this morning. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That kind of sums up what Peter's talking about, doesn't it? He says, we've been called to this because we identify with Jesus. And then he actually says, he says it so profoundly. You know what? We're the ones that deserve to be on the cross. Because there is no sin in him, but yet he went to the cross and took upon himself all of our sin and shame and guilt. The only one who could, because he was the only perfect one. He did that for us. We were straying like sheep, but now we've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. He didn't revile, he didn't threaten. How will we react when we are persecuted? We are to expect it, to rejoice in it, but ultimately to trust our very souls to our God who calls us beloved. Amen? Father God, thank you for our time together. As we leave this place, as we leave fellowshipping, encouraging each other, rejoicing in your word and your truth, Rejoicing in the name of Jesus, God, may we carry this with us this week. May we go back to your word and your scriptures and and sink deeper into it, Lord, that we could truly understand and grasp that this is the reality for a follower of Jesus. In our world today, yes, even today, God, may we embrace it as we expect it and ultimately give you all the glory for it because you deserve it. And finally, Lord, may we wear that name of Christian well. May we represent you as your ambassadors to this world. Not our home, but representing you here, Father. May we do it well. But we can only do it, Lord, not of our own strength, but the strength from you. So Holy Spirit, fill us, lead us, and guide us. Strengthen us and give us that courage we need to stand firm in you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go with courage. Amen.
Come seek and save 